Welcome to Cool Downs with Colin. I'm here with friend, roommate, runner, Victoria O'Neill. Victoria, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Colin. Thank you for coming. So I like to start out these conversations by asking people when they first started to call themselves a runner. And I think you are an interesting example because you come from a family of runners, more than one generation back, which I think is kind of rare. And there's a cool story there, which maybe we'll get to at some point about your dad and your grandpa and marathoning. But first, when did you consider yourself a runner? Yeah, so I, I've really been running all my life. I did elementary school track. Uh, my dad was my coach. And even when I was like nine years old, every Saturday, my sister and I would go down to the high school and run a mile, which is a weird thing for a nine-year-old to want Very to do. Weird. Um, and I, I did that, you know, when I was really young. and it, But it wasn't really until probably uh, middle school, eighth or ninth grade, that I really committed to the sport and decided I wanted to run. And was that on your middle school team? Yeah, I was. I ran at my middle school, and then my ninth grade year, I started training with the high school because the ninth grade was still at the middle school, but I trained at the high school. And what was having your dad coach you in the earlier years? I always really loved it. He coached our, um, like our you know, U9 or U10 soccer teams as well. So it was always really fun. It was never some weird intensity having him as my coach. It was always fun. That's good. Because you do hear stories of of it being a a negative experience. But I think it's really cool that it can be such a positive experience. Yeah. And was your grandpa involved at all in your, or your siblings running? Yeah, so my... My grandfather on my dad's side, uh, would he lived in Palm Springs, but when when we would go down and visit him, we would often go out on a short little run with him in the morning, or if he came up and visited us. Um, but he was a lot more present for my dad's running, you know, when my dad was in high school. Every morning before school, they would go run a 10-mile run just before my dad went to school for the day, and um, that's why... Uh, at age 16, my dad ran like a 229 marathon or something. And uh, my grandpa was a world-class master's runner as well. And uh, they set the world world record for father-son marathon Which at that time. Quite remarkable. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't have as much of a physical presence with my grandpa in my running, but definitely something we talked about um, as I grew up. And I love your your dad and your grandpa's relationship um, around running. Um, You told me uh, a few months back about something they started to do later on when they couldn't run together. I think my listeners might might enjoy that story. Yeah, that wasn't even something I really knew about um, until my grandpa actually passed this last fall, so it wasn't until his funeral that I found out. But whenever my dad and my grandfather couldn't run together... Whoever would go out first would take a tape recorder and record themselves talking for the whole run and then give the tape to the next person so that they could just listen to the other person so they still felt like they were running together, which is absurd to just record yourself for, you know, like a, a two-hour run, just alone, talking to yourself. It's definitely absurd. It's it's very beautiful. I I really yeah, like it. Yeah, they loved it. So that was their relationship. Um, 
And how did your mom factor in? Was she a runner at all, or was that kind of uh, a culture shock when she... No, so my mom's family is also very athletic, um, and my mom didn't run competitively at Stanford like my dad did, uh, but my mom's younger sister, Ellen, did run at Stanford uh, and was on the team with my dad, and Ellen was the first woman to ever win the high school national championship. So before it was Foot Locker, when it was Kinney, the first year they held Kinney, my aunt won it. Wow. Um, so my mom was pretty pretty used to the intensity of the sport and um, would hang out with the Stanford track and cross-country team when she was there. So did you know kind of throughout uh, high school that you wanted to run in college, that that was something that, that you were going to try to do? Yeah, I think it was always something I wanted to do, but it, you know, it doesn't really sink in until you start looking at colleges and, and factoring in, you know, do I want a big school, small school, where, and then you start thinking about will I run or not, um, can I make it on the team, but, but it was something that I wanted to at least have the option for, um, and I was really lucky to be recruited by a couple schools back east, um, and at the time, Patty Sue Plummer, who ran on the team with my dad and aunt, was the coach at Stanford, so I had some conversations with her. Um, but the, all of the coaches were really open to talking about even just walking on, and I was lucky enough to get a likely letter to Brown and go there. And so you wound up at Brown in Providence, Rhode Island, which we, both, we, we share an affection for. Um, what were some of the challenges, the unique challenges of starting to run college, and, and what did you enjoy about it? Yeah, I think what what a lot of people would ask me, you know, when they're visiting school or uh, recruits would ask, how do you balance college and running? Um, and what I think is interesting, like, if you run in high school, you've already been doing the balance. You already know how to sleep and do your school and do your homework and everything and get your running in. But what's different about college is that you basically just have all this open time and you kind of need to figure out when you do it all versus school. It's like you're in school from seven to three and then you run and then you do homework. So um, it was a challenge for me to just commit to like a schedule and, and have more set times for things. Um, the other big challenge of being in Providence was uh, the winters. You know, they were, they're pretty rough. Um, but but I really enjoyed it. I found uh, I it was really good for me to have that community at school, especially going from Boise to Providence um, and having, it wasn't ever really a culture shock, but it was more just being so far from anything I was familiar with uh, on a deep level. Um, I was really lucky to have the team and have my coach and have that support system already in place. Yeah, so I like that idea of community, especially on college teams. Um, and what what was the community like at Brown? Because I think at, at some schools, um, a running community can be just a group of people that, that enjoy each other's presence and, and see each other practice. There are other schools where people spend every waking minute uh, with each other. Yeah. Um, what, what was the community like at, at Brown? I think there was a, for me at least, there was a really good balance between those two archetypes and I was able to be really close with the girls on the team and have meals with them, live with them, spend time with them. 
outside of practice, but also cultivate my own friendships and my own communities outside of the team. And, um, and you know, there it wasn't ever really clicky or anything. It wasn't weird that I had friends outside of the team, and it wasn't weird that I was really close with any of the girls on the team. Um, and the girls' team and the guys' team were also very close. They often, uh, you know, would go to events together, have meals together. So I, I think there was a really good balance on the team at Brown, and that was something that was really cool because I think, like you said, you often get one extreme or the other. And what was the adjustment to college racing like, um, running longer distances against women who are four or five years older than you uh, at the start, at least? Yeah, I that's not really something I've ever thought about, I guess. But I don't think the shift from, like, 5K cross-country to 6K was, was all that much, especially you know, after a good fall base of training with the team and, um, you know, being a lot stronger than I was in high school. It, I don't think there was ever a point at which I was like, whoa, this is too much. Um, and cross country, I think, is a, is a really good equalizer across, you know, various groups of women. Um, but what, what was different for me was the track races because, in high school, you know, the longest distance is two miles, but all of a sudden you get to college and that's middle distance. Um, and so I was having to make the jump to 5K, 10K on the track um, and at least training for that distance while still not being able to race the races I was familiar with because I didn't have the speed of a sprinter. So I, I was kind of in this limbo for a little bit where I, I wasn't strong enough and had a good enough kick for the college level 5k on the track but I wasn't speedy enough for the 1500 or mile um so that was that was something that I think required a mental shift of uh you know deciding that I'm gonna go out in this 5k or what have you and um and just be tough and put myself in the race and not think of it. like you can't think about the fact that there are these women that have three years more experience than you because then you just count yourself out from the get-go um so I would say as much of as much as there was a physical shift in the training, there was also just a mental shift in deciding that that was what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and did you what 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 was that mental shift like? I, like what uh, was it in the preparation for races? Was it in what you were telling yourself in the race itself? Yeah, I think. I honestly didn't really get to a strong mental state until my junior year of college. I think my freshman and sophomore year, um, you know, you're going through a lot of big life changes and you have all these other factors and you're trying to be fun and be a real college kid and go out and then you get injured and then you're trying to come back from injury and there are all these things that impact it. Um, so I wasn't really able to make that full mental shift until my junior year, I think, when it was, I, I just kind of realized, I was like, okay, if, if this is something I want to do seriously, then I need to take it seriously. And I need to, you know, have a regular bedtime and not go out on the weekends. And, or if I do go out, go home and like only drink water and just be, be an athlete rather than a college student. Um, I think was the, was the big type of shift I made. Um, and it was hard, you know, it's a hard thing to do when you have people around you 
that haven't made that shift or decided they don't want to do that. Um, but it was something that I wanted. I wanted to be better at racing and better at running. So I just, you know, made small lifestyle changes that I could sustain in the long term. And that's what did it. And one question I sometimes like to ask people is uh, to recount a memorable race that they had. Do you have a race that comes to mind from from college or before college um, that you felt like characterizes the uh, mental shift that you had that 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 characterized that going into a race being tough no matter what? Yeah, one race that uh, was and is very special to me was my senior year Northeastern Division One regionals um, when. We, we showed up with, you know, we had just come out of conference having, I can't recall if it was a third or fourth place finish, but it was one of our highest finishes and, you know, however many years, uh, 10 or 12 years. And we had a really strong, really good team, um, but we didn't really know where we'd fall in, in regionals. And it was at Franklin Park in Boston and uh, my sisters showed up and surprised me there and it was really cold. Um, and it was a course we had only run once, um, that I had only run once ever. And we showed up and just kind of went out with, you know, just deciding to be tough and be gritty. My coach would always say, uh, stay poised and be re resilient and relentless. And um, that's something that I still try to remember today is just stay relentless and and when it gets tough, just keep going. And that's all, I mean, that's all you can do in a race. And that was a race that I think I really held my own and stayed really poised and relentless. And we as a team did that as well. Um, and it, you know, I, I remember like going up the hill at like in the back of the park and, uh, it was really hard, but I got to the top and I had the guys team at the top and then it was a downhill and you turn and go into the finish and, um, like there, I can remember almost every part of that race and it was, I just felt really present and, um, committed the whole time. And I guess the rest of the girls on my team did too, because we ended up with a third place finish, which was shocking to everyone. Like all of the flow track predictions were completely messed up. Boston college actually had tweeted that they got third because they didn't even bother to calculate what we scored because no one was counting us in the top three. Um, and it was, yeah, it was really cool and really special. We ended up being the first team not to make it to nationals, which was, you know, sad and disappointing, but also really exciting and really cool that we were able to get to that point. That's cool. Um, so, after college, did you know that you wanted to move out to the Bay Area? Yeah, so when I decided, when I was deciding on colleges, I ended up choosing between Brown and Stanford, and uh, my whole family went to Stanford, so I just kind of grew up thinking that I would end up here, um, and I'm really glad I went to Brown, but when I decided I went to Brown, or I would go to Brown, I knew I wanted to spend some time out here. Um, so upon graduating, I was looking at jobs out here, found a job at a startup in the city, um, and had my sister's, uh, in-laws that live out here. And so I stayed with them for a couple of months and, um, just, just made the jump across the country. Um, 
But yeah, it was something that I knew I wanted to spend time out here and, and be closer to my family in Idaho. And um, my brother is at Stanford now, so just be, be closer to people. And did you know that you wanted to try to find a running group when you moved out here? I don't know if I did because I ended my senior year of track uh, with a dead last finish at the heptagonal championships, which is the IV conference um, in the 10K, just a rough race. And my I had IT band tendonitis and um, it didn't seem to be getting better. So I ended up taking probably a total of two months off of like real running. I would maybe go out for a little jaunt. Um, but yeah, then I ended up, uh, deciding, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't really that happy with my job. I felt pretty alone out here. And so I was like, okay, well I should start running again and get that back in place. So I was trying to coach myself, but it's really hard to coach yourself and you end up, I mean, I at least would end up doing like a 40 minute run and then be like, oh, I guess I'll do like a 400 on the track kind of fast, but I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and so I ended up, you know, reaching out to the resources I had, my sister uh, and um, Patty Sue Plummer and uh, just a couple of people. And Patty Sue mentioned I should look up Strava. And so I messaged um, through the Strava website and Dina actually coached my sister when my sister was at Stanford. So I got an email in all caps that said, hold the phone. You are an O'Neill. Call me ASAP. So I was a little afraid, um, but I called her and I ended up going to practice that day um, and, you know, it just clicked and, and so I was able to continue running. Um, but yeah, it wasn't really up, up until I was just kind of feeling lost that I was like, I guess I'll keep running. Um, I did want to be competitive always, but um, but it didn't always feel like I was in a place to be that competitive until I, you know, kind of figured some things out and ended up on Strava. And I, I think that's one of the things that Dina is a genius at is in bringing people in, gathering people, making them feel like they belong at the track on Tuesday nights. Yeah. What, what, let's talk a little bit about Dina. What, what's, uh, the role that Dina has played in your life over the past, uh, I guess, what would it be, two, year, year, yeah, and a half, year and a half, two, two years? Um, I, yeah, I can't say enough good things about Dina, um, and not only because I know she'll listen to this podcast, um, but she, I think she genuinely cares about each and every athlete she works with. Um, she isn't someone that, you know, even though I'm, one of the slowest girls on the team and you know I'm not with that top pack always doing the really fast reps she still cares about how I'm running my intervals and how my tempo workouts go and how my races go um, and just genuinely wants every athlete to do well and improve even if you know even if improving for you doesn't mean you're going to be at an elite professional level she still wants to help you get to a point where you can feel good and say wow, I made that jump. That's really cool. Um, she also reminds me a lot of my college coach. In what way? They both have a lot of thoughts. Um, they're, they're very thoughtful and they really uh, have a lot of ideas about things and are very thorough. 
Um, and none of this is a criticism because, again, it's just another way in which they care. But, you know, you go to a workout and you you hear every iteration of the workout and how Dina has visualized it'll go. Um, and, you know, some like the conversations are very thorough, but very meaningful and uh, very thoughtful, which is something that my college coach also did and uh, did a good job at communicating very clearly. And so you, you've made some, some jumps over the past year and a half in a 5K PR a few weeks back. Um, what do you attribute that to? Um, I, for me, I think what has been hard in the past year and a half, I had a really demanding job at a startup around here where I was working 10 hour days. And if I, you know, took a vacation day, I had to be in at my desk at 7am. And so I wasn't really at a point where, um, I could have any work-life balance. And I left that job recently, um, but started transitioning out of it back in February. Um, and just kind of, I feel like I took more control of things and decided um, to be a lot more mindful about, I've, I've been trying to enter my life more mindfully recently and just like, I don't have a beer every night cooking dinner, um, which, you know, some people think if you're not getting drunk, well then like it's fine. But to me, it's more about just being mindful and like, is this making a positive impact on my body? Like, will it make me feel good? Or am I just like, will it make me feel good in two hours? Will it make me feel good tomorrow versus, you know, I like this right now. Um, and I've been able to sleep a lot more and just be, I think, a lot more calm in my life, which is something I didn't really have. Um, so I was, yeah, I was lucky enough to be able to start making that shift back in February and, um, just commit to being aggressive. That's another thing Dina and I changed recently is rather than doing kind of my own, uh, like having my own little workout group, uh, and with, you know, intervals that are a couple seconds slower than the faster girls on the team, deciding that if I really want to make that jump. I should be doing the intervals at the same pace as those girls, but maybe just a little shorter, um, which is, I think, really good in a lot of ways because it, it shows me that I can run those paces um, and start building up that strength. But it also shows me that if I'm in a race with those girls, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, well, I don't work out with them, so I shouldn't be up near them in the race. Um, and so we were able to make that shift in my training as well and just go into races maybe a little bit less strategically and a little more just like, well, find a girl, latch on, and just see how long you can last, um, which is what happened in the 5K. Um, and I, you know, fell off the pace as I had been running a bit, but I didn't, I finished without thinking, wow, I could have gone harder in the middle. Um, I finished really feeling like I had done what I could do. And that's the goal. Yeah. Um, and so... You talked about um, kind of your mental approach to training, being mindful and, and being calm. And I think a lot of times runners think a lot about the physical inputs of training. Um, physiologically, uh, they think a lot about physical injuries and preventing physical injuries and optimizing physical performance. But I think 
a lot of times the mental side of the sport can be neglected. How, what's been your journey with, with optimizing mental health for enjoyment of life and performance? Yeah, so I, uh, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety in eighth grade. I didn't get treatment until my sophomore year of college. So there was a long period of time where uh, I, you know, I was resisting it. It was, it was more of a personal choice of mine that I didn't think I needed it and I didn't want it. Um, and looking back, I, you know, should have been more open to it. Quality of life would have gone way up. Um, but once I started going to therapy and having treatment for that in college, um, I was able to just take a lot better care of myself. Um, and, and I've been able to carry that on now. Uh, but I think a lot of running culture is very intense in a lot of ways. Um, it is also, it can be very calming. I think a lot of people use running as a form of therapy. You know, you get outside, you are in nature, um, which is definitely, I use that aspect of it. But I think there's also a lot where people, a lot of times where people can let themselves get too intense with it and start restricting things, not just eating, but start restricting social time and just, they, they keep themselves on a really tight leash, which that's, you know, that's not good for anyone any time. Um, and I, I had a lot of ups and downs with my mental health and you can see the results of that in my running as well. Um, but once, once I was able to get a hold on it, I, you know, it, it doesn't impact just my running. It impacts how I feel about my running and how I, if I can get out of bed and go on a run or if running is a chore for the day versus something that'll help me, um, or just not even about running, just, you know, getting into work and having a good day at work or talking to my friends and roommates and coworkers, um, and just having, having a stable mindset and having stability in my mental health has allowed me to make huge improvements in my overall health. Um, I used to get sick like once a month, um, because I, I couldn't sleep either. Part of my depression and anxiety was a sleep disorder. Um, where I, it would take me hours to fall asleep and then I would wake up throughout the night. But once I was on treatment, I was able to sleep through the night, which is awesome. Um, and makes a huge difference in your attitude, your mental health, and just like your overall health. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers the question. I'm now just kind of rambling. (laughs) No, thank you. It's yeah. Um, I think there's, there's a lot to unpack there too. Um, how, what would you describe as kind of some of the barriers to getting treatment for you personally? Yeah, for me, I think there, I didn't know that it was something that so many people struggled with. Uh, for me, I thought it was just something that was just me. It was something that was wrong with me, that I was the only person going through this, um, which may or may not be true that a lot of other people feel that way. I think there's a lot of stigma attached to mental health. You know, you can see if someone has a broken arm and you're like, you should go get that checked out, but you can't see if someone has a chemical imbalance in their brain. 
Um, and so it's a lot harder, I think, for people to embody and understand and rationalize. And so for that reason, I think, um, you know, I personally had a lot of resistance to it because I was like, no, no, this is something I can handle on my own. I'll get through it. It's fine. But honestly, the longer you tough it out, the harder it gets. Um, especially as you, when I moved away from home and I didn't have my parents' emotional support and, um, all that familiarity, it was, yeah, it was really hard. Um, so I, yeah, I just had a lot of resistance behind it because I thought, I didn't think it was as big a deal as it was. And it's like, well, it's, I'm just sometimes sad and tired and, you know, I get in bad moods. Everyone has bad moods. So I'll just tough it out and tomorrow will be better. But that wasn't always true. Yeah. I, I feel like I have had similar experiences in groups that I've been a part of where, um, especially in the running community, if, if a guy on a team has an IT band injury, then guys are asking him about it every day, supporting him, asking what they can do to help. If a guy misses a couple of days of practice because he has clinical depression, people kind of whisper about it. Yeah, um, it's it's harder. And I think historically there's just been a lot more stigma about it too. I, I think a lot of people don't like to talk about it because they feel like it is something wrong with them um, that they somehow controlled, that they like aren't their bodies just aren't creating the right amount of chemicals um and they feel like it's a personal flaw and that you know is due to this the stigma but can also perpetuate it and um yeah I think it's just a lot harder for people to see it and understand it and they don't know if the person wants to talk about it um and they don't know if that's the reason they missed practice or the race or dropped out or you know whatever it is they don't people can't see every outcome of it or input. And so what was your decision to be open with it? Because we've had conversations about it in the past, and I know that it's not something that you shy away from, which I think is a courageous choice given the stigma around it. So was it a conscious decision, or, or is that just your personality that you are open about those things? Yeah, I think more just my personality. I... It was something, I think, when I was in college, uh, once I started getting treatment, I just, you know, I was open about it. There was no reason to not be open about it. Um, And because I was open about it, I was able to have conversations with my coach and my teammates and um, and just, you know, help help other people make decisions or reflect on their own experiences. Uh, I took this really cool... Uh, anthropology department class in college that was the culture of disease in society or something Um, and I I wrote my term paper on my journey with depression and anxiety and it was really interesting and um, frightening at some points but cool and educational to just kind of reflect on everything and realize that like wow when I was in high school restricting my eating that was due to my anxiety. And when I wasn't sleeping my freshman year of college, that was due to my depression. Um, and just kind of reflect on like these things that happened, but I hadn't connected all of the dots. And once I was able to really make that connection, I was like, well, if there are girls on my team struggling with 
disordered eating or restrictive eating or they are struggling with homesickness, like why should I not engage with them in a conversation about it if my experience can help them? Not that I think I'm this all-powerful being that can, you know, educate people, but if my experience helps anyone, then, you know, why shouldn't I share it? Yeah, I like that. And and so what would your recommendations be for someone... Um, either on a college running team who's who's struggling with depression or anxiety or just someone out in the world uh, who's struggling with it? Yeah, I think I, I was really fortunate to uh, have a really strong support system between my coach and my parents. My mom is a psychologist, um, and, and I, w- I ha- had a really safe space to start engaging in those conversations um, and be set up with professionals to help me address it. Um, so I, I think what's, in, what's most important for anyone, even if you're not struggling with anxiety or depression, is to just have someone you trust that you can talk to. Um, maybe they're a professional, maybe they're not, but just being able to engage with someone in conversations, uh, tough conversations that you may not feel comfortable having on a daily basis, but just being able to reflect with someone uh, in those ways, I think, helps a lot of people. Thank you for that. And so we're going to close this up fairly soon, but I like to I like to close with one question, and it is, what is exciting you right now about your running? What are you looking forward to over the coming weeks, months? Yeah, so I... I did a couple of races the past couple of weeks, so I, I'm, I guess I'm maybe taking a break from racing for a couple of weeks and just getting in some good hard workouts, which I'm really excited about. Um, I feel strong and I feel fit, so I'm excited to you know see my tempo paces go down a little bit, um, and then I'm hoping to race in Portland at one or both of the Portland Track Fest meets. Um, hopefully get in another 10k and probably another 5k break that 17 minute barrier um and just see what i can do well thank you very much victoria for coming on the podcast thank you for having me